I'm Dustin Zahn, and this is Trainwrecks. Uh, I hope you guys have been enjoying the podcast. It's been a lot of fun to do these. You know, I don't really, uh, I'm not as social as I used to be anymore. And um, it's been nice to have people over and, and chat about all this stuff and get some insight. Uh, you know, when you're kind of sitting on your own, you can develop some ideas. And sometimes you might be right on the head, and other times you might be really off the mark. So it's been cool to chat with people and kind of see, you know, where our opinions land on all this. And I uh, hope you enjoy it. Uh, you know, as I was mentioning, the conversations have been pretty insightful, and today is no different. Uh, my guests are two really incredible women. Uh, one's name is Irene Amnes, and the other's name is Chloe Lua. Uh, starting with Irene, she kind of does it all. She's a producer and DJ who is doing it full-time. She's a party, event, promoter, organizer, whatever the cool term is for that these days. And she also finds time to be a teacher and, you know, teach aspiring uh, female identifying and non-binary producers. Chloe, on the other hand, is also a producer. And as we found out, a cellist in this episode, uh, she's been working on that for quite a while and, and DJing all around as well. Um, on top of that, she's also a full-time journalist at Resident Advisor and they both happen to be residents at Trezor here in Berlin. So we'll talk about all the techno and techno-adjacent stuff that they're involved in with their lives. Uh, I hope you enjoy the show. And, uh, you know, apologies for some of the microphone stuff that was happening in this episode. It was a little weird, but, you know, it's sorted out now and it doesn't ruin it. But it'll be a good time either way. Once again, drilling it into your little eardrums, we got a couple of events to promote this spring and summer. Um, the Great Beyond, it's our festival that is specializing in psychedelic house and techno. Happens a couple hours outside of Minneapolis. If you need something to do this summer, come and check it out. It's a kind of a boutique thing. You don't have to worry about it being like this 5,000 person bullshit where they're trying to get you for every nickel and dime that you have. Uh, one price will get you in the door and it'll get you just about everything you need. Bring your own food and, you know, cot or whatever, tent. If you're going to stay in a hotel, we got you covered over there. Well, you got to pay for it, but you know it's in it's, it's in a close distance. We got a little ride for you. We got these shuttles that go back and forth, so you can get a little loose and you don't have to worry about driving. Uh, if you're flying in, fuck the rental car. We got this airport shuttle. It'll pick you up Friday at four thirty, and it'll bring your ass back to the airport on Monday morning. So you don't have to do anything except for show up, have a good time, and make sure to drink some water and eat. Would probably be a good idea too. That's uh, greatbeyond.us if you're curious about tickets. And if you can't make it to the Great Beyond, but you do happen to be making it to Detroit, check out our Metaphysica party happening May 24th at Leland City Club in Detroit. It's a yearly thing we've been doing with Blink Code Records over there. And uh, we got a killer lineup of uh, some older generational people like myself and some of the newer generation. Head over to Resident Advisor to buy tickets and see what the lineup is. Uh, it would be great to see at both parties. Again, I'm not making any money on this show. I kind of got to rely on all this other stuff. So it's appreciated if you, if you come out and say hello and, you know, support with ticket sales or whatever the hell else. Anyway, have a good one. All right. Welcome to the show, both of you. How you doing? Hi. Hello. Hi. Good. Hi. Thanks um, for having us. No problem. Let's, uh, let's have you guys introduce yourselves so we know who's talking here. We'll start with you. Well, I'm Irene Amnes. Um, I make music. I'm very terrible in introducing myself, to be honest. But That's quite all right. Thank you for having us as no a problem. start. Um, yeah, I'm an um, experimental techno noise, uh, however I feel like, <laughs> producer um, and live act. Um, me and Chloe just released, well, just like a few months ago, released um, a record on Trezor together um yeah that's it's called synergy right yeah awesome and then chloe uh yeah i'm chloe uh i am a music journalist i work for resident advisor and i'm also a musician um i would classify myself more as like more techno than experimental <laughs> um uh, yeah i think you're both a little bit more avant-garde than usual though which is also you know partly why i wanted to have you on because i get enough people on the show that it's like 
loopy stuff or, or mm-hmm. clubby or whatever, you know? So yeah, it's, it's nice to have you both on. Um, and then we'll, we'll start with you. You have quite a bit going on, like different collectives and projects and, and, and live, live things. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I started, uh, I'm part of a collective called Under My Feet, um, started in 2015 in London. Um, it's more of a kind of like noise DIY label. Uh, we do events uh, pretty much everywhere, like with focus in London. <laughs> um, but we, we got actually one in Berlin on the 2nd or 3rd of February. I don't remember now. 3rd. Third, yeah. I'm not even part of it, but I know I know everything about under my feet. <laughs> yes, yeah. Chloe plays a lot. She just did actually the the new live show um, with her cello. It was yeah. amazing. I played a couple awesome. a couple yeah. months ago at Eclectic in London. Yeah, yeah. Venue there is now closed, unfortunately. Oh. But yeah, great venue. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much like an ongoing project since a few years and um, I have while well, I do my solo stuff and yeah where like I'm these days like I'm, I'm kind of like trying to get more on the live shows sort of thing um, and then um, I last year I started this project with Infinity Division and yeah we it's called Satin and it's kind of interesting. We got a release out coming soon on Never Sleep, Gabriel Leganza. Um And uh, yeah, it's all like I'm a big analog fan. So everything is like analog and it takes a lot of work. <laughs> and it's like Definitely. That's cool, though. And I, I want to go into that a little bit later, too, because I find it really fascinating. Like you're pretty open about sharing the process or how things get to it, even if it's like the really raw elements before you start editing it down and whatnot. So, and Chloe, you said that you're also doing journalistic things, um, primarily at RA or you have anything else that people should check out or, uh, yeah, well I'm employed full time at RA. I mean, I would actually say the majority of my time goes towards music journalism actually uh, instead of music. Um, but I also write a column for The Wire that comes out every few months, and I kind of don't have time for anything else, to be honest. <laughs> I get it. But you have been making music, it seems. I and have like, been, yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you see yourself trying to release more as the time comes, or you just you still can't squeeze the time? Or I would like to do more, and I've yeah. thought at different points about um, actually just doing music full-time. Um, I think that... The balance between writing and music always changes in my life. Like there have been points where I actually haven't done music at all and I've just done writing. Like I, I went back to get my master's degree a couple years ago in journalism. Um, but these days I am doing a lot more music and I'm kind of thinking of like going more that direction. Um, yeah. Sorry, does that answer your question? I'm so no, jet lagged. Like, right. <laughs> yeah, she just came back from America last night. So it's a yeah. little Wyoming. Please into it though. <laughs> But Chloe's working on a new album as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the al- well, the album's done. Um, it is coming out this year. But I'm still debating between two record labels, so I can't divulge yet which that's one it will, fine, <laughs> will come out on. But, uh, but it is with the cello. So uh, I, play the, I played awesome. the classical cello really seriously uh, until I was 18, and I've been returning to it again the last couple of years. And uh, so I'm doing a lot con- with, like, neoclassical ambient kind of in that in that vein. that's great though yeah. i mean there's there's a huge movement for that right now yeah like during the pandemic you just i just kind of was grasping for straws trying to listen to anything and i have a lot of friends that are oh that sounds lame. like i i have friends that play really well and they're at a high level and they kind of introduce me to new stuff and there's like there is this cool level of, of things that are going on that you know it takes like brass instruments or clarinets or anything, or like you said, cello, and then like really tries to bring it to like the modern era with production and whatnot, but maybe more experimental and not so like old timey or whatever. Mm. And I I think that's really cool. In fact, like that's usually where I'm lately, I find myself most excited because when you hear like an electronic track, whether it's 
club music are at home it's like it's cool it's all in the box but when you hear like someone that gets real expressive with an instrument that's like comes in over the top like halfway through you're like oh shit you yeah know? it's so different yeah, yeah. i mean like because especially with a lot electronic music like i love guitars and rock and everything but half the time unless it's like bass guitar it, it gets kind of weird you know what i mean almost like this weird 90s industrial thing <laughs> that doesn't work but some of these other instruments strangely seem to work better in that regard yeah Yeah. so awesome yeah that was the other thing i was going to ask is if if you're trained at all she clearly is are you are you just yeah like i um well i started like studying music since so like when i was 10 and i started with vocals and sorry my voice today is like <clears throat> breaking. Pick the um, right day. <laughs> I, started, <laughs> I started with vocals and then I, yeah, I went into like guitar and bass and back to vocals. But yeah, that was pretty much my main instrument until I decided that I didn't want to sing anymore. <laughs> yeah. Any particular reason? Uh, I guess I got more into like DJing and electronic music. So my interest kind of switched organically into like synths and but I'm kind of like picking things up now with satin like I'm playing the bass and doing more vocals which I love screaming screaming I mean it's it's really tough times right now so you got to get it out somehow right yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> felt like I needed to do that you know so let, let's talk about like influences what for both of you, what have the influences been, let's say, outside of dance music and within it, or electronic music, you know? I mean, outside of electronic music, um, I really grew up on a diet of, like, shoegaze and post-punk. Oh, yes. Um, and also a lot of, I, I'm really into minimalism, um, like, in a neoclassical sense, so, like, Max Richter, Steve Reich, um, and a lot of ambient jazz, like Alice Coltrane, so kind of the that school of like mm-hmm. chill, <laughs> chill <laughs> listening music. <laughs> um, but then within electronic music, I'm going to sound like a little bit of a cliche, I think, but Sandwell District is like it was and still is like my number one function. Silent Servant, obviously. Um, early um, stroboscopic artifacts, like the Monad series when that came out about a decade ago. Stripped down, atmosphere yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's definitely like something that carries over into all the music that I do. Awesome. Uh, um, well, for me, um, let's say like I, growing up, like I was listening a lot to metal and progressive rock. Like I, obviously grunge, like I, I used I, I still love um, Alice in Chains. Like, it's my favorite band. I was, like, right before you two came here, we were talking, I was talking to some friends about the Unplugged concert. That you know? is my favorite. Like, I don't know how many times I watched that. But it's, yeah, when he, when he sing like, uh, Nutshell, like, that's one of my favorite tracks. Um, then Tool and Pantera and kind of, like, grow up, like, listening to this stuff and then, Obviously, like, yeah, the fashion mode, you mentioned this earlier, but <laughs> yeah. um, Nine Inch Nails. And when it comes to electronic music, to be honest, like, who introduced me to electronic music um, is Bjork. And weirdly, like, I, I was, I am still obsessed with Bjork a little bit, yeah. like, still now a little bit more, you know, <laughs> when I was a teenager. But um, all of the UK um, kind of, like, uh, trip hop like Portishead and Massive Attack, mm-hmm. uh, Warp Records. Yeah, I'm, I have like such a huge influence. Like, and I try to bring it also like my sound. Um, but yeah, it's funny. I feel like our influences are so different, and yet we, <laughs> we somehow there's some common ground. But yeah. the thing is, like, w- when it came up earlier, like I was talking about, um, I think it was Quells or somebody else I had over at the house the other day. We were talking about. Steve Reich and all that stuff and I've because also during the pandemic I was like really starting to get nerdy on that and I'm like oh my god I've, I've never felt more middle-aged dude in my <laughs> life because I'm like nerded out on this shit and I feel like that's what you do at that point yeah. so but I, I was into a lot of that but also like all the bands that she mentioned and everything growing up and like post-bunk influence all the way to like you know Massive Attack whatever that was all super huge it still is with me like 
well actually no the the records are in boxes but usually at my old place i had all that kind of stuff just on display you know (laughs) (laughs) but um i mean so these days you know there's a lot going on in, in music. Is there is there something that's a little bit more inspiring to you right now, like movements within electronic music that maybe you're chasing as a DJ or also as a producer? You're like, I think I think I want to lean into that direction a little bit more. Uh, can I be honest? No, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I somewhat agree. Yeah. <laughs> I um, I don't know. I can. I'm always been kind of against all the trends for me is kind of, it, it always been some sort of rebellion, the rebellious side of myself. Like I always done the opposite of yeah. what people do. <laughs> like even when I was a teenager, if someone was like, oh, these shoes are cool. For example, I would be like, no, I hate these shoes. But maybe like, I was like, oh, maybe, yeah, these shoes are cool, but no way. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, going back to music, I don't know. I'm I'm just not I'm not interested in like any particular trend, let's say like that or movement. Okay, I get well, like how about like um maybe production like is there something inspiring like I'm not even saying like fast BPMs like Techno 140 but like is there are you maybe into like 160 BPM there's a lot of kind of that stuff going on like this halftime thing anything like that or Yeah, when when I try to make more like IDM drum and bass then yeah um okay I mean I would have to agree about the trend thing because I do feel like we're at this weird moment in techno where everyone's like sounding the same oh yeah um (laughs) and it's hard for me to really like point at anyone who's really inspiring me which sounds so sad especially as a music critic but there are, I mean, there are a couple of people who I'm like really looking to a lot for production now. Um, Satoic Mass, I think has been fucking, can I swear on this? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think he's been like really killing it. I mean, he's always been a really solid producer, but there's like something about his synth programming that um, I find that it sits really well in a set that's like kind of leans towards EBM without being EBM mm-hmm. or like falling into those tropes too much. So I've been really into his stuff. Um, and like Oxygeno from Spain. Yeah. Um, I don't know other, other things I'm into. I mean, this isn't new, but, um, voices from the lake. I just saw live at deck mantle and I was like, Oh <laughs> my God. Um, <laughs> I mean, cause I was into them a really long time ago, but, um, just seeing them live. I'm like, I wish I could somehow <laughs> like take some of their sound design and like, I don't know. It's, yeah, really incredible. It's inspiring yeah. stuff for yeah. sure. I mean, you know, like Donato is one of my all-time favorites. You know, there's a lot of people, everybody likes to name check the obvious people, Jeff Mills and Robert Hood and all that. And that stuff's cool. But like uh, lately these days, people like, you know, Donato and them are kind of tend to inspire me the most at the moment. Just, uh, and also it's like musicianship, like wanting to try a bunch of different projects. My favorite Donato stuff is still like his techno output, but I like the fact that he's trying different things for a while he was trying to like make a whole album out of a mouth harp or with an italian singer or something you know what i mean it's like more conceptual whereas these days i know you both know you you hear a lot of these albums and there's like not really an actual concept it's just tracks cut and paste together to form a narrative yeah one artist that blows my mind every single time i see him it's uh how son french artist he play a tonal and he did also a collaboration with Kamaru. It's more like noise, um, yes, noise, ambient, yeah. experimental. And obviously in Kizi as well, like it's probably like actually my top at the moment. Awesome. And how do you say it again? Aho San. I hope okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm pronouncing it right. I'm so bad with names. Okay. I'm definitely interested to check it out. So I'll yeah. have to check it out mm-hmm. after here. He released on Subtext. Okay. And uh, I think he's kind of a regular uh, Eternal. Um, plays quite like, yeah, he's been playing pretty much all of the Eternal. I mean, I mean, I've usually been there in the last couple. Well, last year was the first like full year back, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah which I was think cool. So. Yeah. But prior to the pandemic, I, I was at most of them. But then, 
timing just kind of i missed the one or two before it ended so it was, it was nice to go back and see everything like, yeah it's uh, like my favorite festival mm-hmm. yeah i mean like i remember this past year i went for the sandwell night but before that there was the the bells thing with the the women oh, yeah. that were suspended yeah, yeah. that shit blew my fucking mind <laughs> i don't think i, I mean, saw that what, what was it it was like naked girls suspended from chains yeah. banging on bells and stuff <laughs> It was wild. <laughs> I brought my yeah. little sister to see it. She was, was like, awesome. look at me. <laughs> I mean, Samuel was dope. Don't get me wrong. But after I saw that, I'm like, I think I'm good. Like, nothing can beat that tonight. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Um, So when it comes to, like, production and making music, I all the time you're sharing constantly, like, videos. I mean, you are of, like, jamming in the studio and whatnot, which is really cool. Is that kind of how your process works where you just get an idea going and like a feeling and try to capture that and then edit it down later or yes i i just i just get down to my studio and i just like jam for like i don't know many hours and then eventually i'll be like okay maybe i'm gonna record something sometimes i don't even record anything but it's for me it's always like about mainly learning mm-hmm. um the instruments um so yeah the jams that, you know, sometimes they post on Instagram, they, they never make as a track, actually. But but yeah, I started like that. And then I'm really much into editing. So I'll get down like with my ADHD brain and just like... <laughs> so you're really into that part, right? Yes. Okay. Because that's the thing. Like, it's really easy to record two hours of shit, but then you have to really have the patience to sit down and be like comb through all of it like i start to lose my mind yeah i don't like that part (laughs) but what about you so like do you are you a little bit more methodical where you have you have an idea and you go for it or do you also jam or what do you try i'm not as much of a jammer and i'm actually mostly working completely in the box these days irene Mm -hmm. and i are like opposites (laughs) 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 Um, uh, but i have a lot of soft synths i have a couple desktop synths um but usually i'll just kind of fool around with coming up with a pat or you know a quote-unquote patch and then as soon as i hear something that sounds good i'll just start making the track um because i'm i I get too overwhelmed if i have too much material to go through afterwards (laughs) (laughs) so we need to send everything to her is what you're saying yeah Yeah. we started a track track together and i was like oh let's add this and she was like no this is already a lot of channels and they they were only like 15 or something i know but i i really like minimalism as as we've established (laughs) i I try to keep it down to like four or five channels or something like that and then sometimes it gets out of hand you know but man i don't know so you could you can really get i've seen some of your sessions on the screen you got like tons of of channels right i mean i get i like one i get two projects that they don't even open anymore (laughs) like my laptop is like um but yeah, I, I would get like easily to like 60 because I don't know, I just like process stuff like a lot of times and do all these little variations. Like I get very, very much into details and sometimes I'm just like asking myself, like, why am I even doing this? You know, it's. Well, it's got to be fun, you know? I mean. Sometimes, yeah. Well, but not I mean, mixing. You, you need to make it fun, otherwise you wouldn't keep doing it. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Mixing is not fun, I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's one of those things where I, I'm not a big fan of mixing, but I know that nobody's going to do it for me, so I just accepted it. Kind of like when you're at home, every time I'm like chopping garlic, I always tell myself, like, how many fucking times have I chopped garlic? <laughs> And I'm wondering how many more times I'm going to have to chop garlic, how many times I got to peel it, and I get so pissed off. But, like, when you just accept that it's part of life, like, okay, I'm going to have to shower every day. That's part of life now. You know what I mean? Once you once you get in that zen mode, you just, you're fine with it. But you could get, like, a garlic powder. I have that, too. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you got to use the real deal, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Um... So when it comes down to, like, the the record that you both put out, it was separate tracks, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, and you said you were trying to work on some stuff together. Is that something that might still come at some point? or Hopefully. Yeah. Sorry. We don't find a lot of time to get to the studio, but we've had a few sessions recently. It sounds great already. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, like, because I, I, I've seen you work with, with other people live, like the collaboration, the whole process of that is a total different beast because you kind of like have to allow yourself to, you know, make amends on things that you're not like super built on or trust that wherever they're going with it and they're chasing that, like you're going to get there. And that can be like really difficult. Like I've worked with some people we've tried to collaborate and it just like, it was kind of like button heads and other times it's just when you trust that person so well, you're like, you do what you got to do. It's Mm -hmm. going to be great. You know, what about you? Do you, have you had much experience or how you feel about the collaborative process? I I haven't done many collaborations, like not as many as Irene. I have a couple of friends I jam with regularly, but more like for fun, mm-hmm. um, like Bill Youngman, Headless yeah, Horseman. He's, great. Uh, he's he my and- neighbor. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, he and I have been going to the studio together for like years, and we'll just actually usually I'll bring the cello and we'll just make some kind of like cool metal or like neoclassical thing or, you know, and it, we don't really release it, but it's fun and we enjoy working together. But I would say other than him and Irene, there's like not really anyone I work with. And I think it's because I can be very particular <laughs> and Irene knows that, but I think, yeah. <laughs> but I think our dynamic works, like our friendship works in a way where like, we trust like, each other. We tr- yeah, we trust Definitely. each other. Yeah. That's that's the key. So Yeah. One thing I want to like I'm not trying to ask too many production questions, but it I feel like there's not enough women talking about production enough. So I'd like to ask a little bit more if that's all right. Um you know, you both have talked about doing live sets. Can you explain your approach for people who maybe haven't heard it? Like I know you're doing your cello set and you've got all kinds of machines you're bringing out, right? <laughs> too much. <laughs> um well, you mean my live setup or just what I do? As a, Maybe like w- walk us through it. Like if you have a gig, you're like, uh, I'm going to decide on a drum machine and two synths. And then I just, yeah. do you just generate something for that night or how, do you, how does it work? Well, I, that's the thing. Like I always change um, the cable. Yeah. Um, I always color. change my setup um, because I... I don't know why I have this thing in my head where I need to make something new on every live set I play. So I'm, yeah, I'm constantly changing my live setup, testing it out. And I would say the thing that I always, I've been bringing always these days is the 707, which I distort so much and it's amazing. Um, but yeah, like I, I got this little black box as a sampler, um, mm-hmm which is great, kind of replaced completely the laptop. Um, my live show goes, I don't know, from like harsh noise to... I'm making something a bit more IDM-ish, like for this new live show that I'm going to play next week. Uh, but yeah, it's still TBC. <laughs> right on. <laughs> and then for you, like, I don't... To be honest, I don't know anything about the show. Is it just like a cello performance or is it getting more with pedals or something or how do you do it? Um, well, so I've only done one iteration of the show so far for okay. Under My Feet. Um, but I, unsurprisingly, unlike Irene, <laughs> I don't like having a lot of gear with me just because I I don't like to introduce too many variables that might like fuck up live. So for that show... I actually pretty much just had everything going in Ableton and I played the cello live over it and I would trigger some clips, um, but it was really just cello and reverb. Um, so I kept it quite simple. Um, but right now I'm actually thinking of other, once the album is announced and I start hopefully kind of touring it more, um, I would like to write some additional parts for other strings, like maybe a few, like three or four other people um, I haven't decided if wow. it would be like different, <laughs> like different string parts or like just cellists. Um, but so like a kind of a little chamber group with some like electronic that would be awesome. things happening under it. Um, but I'm just kind of now dipping my toes into like more formal composition. Like I'm, I'm learning now with my teacher, my cello teacher, cause she also does composition and arrangement stuff, um, which I don't have any formal training in. So that's kind of my next, my next challenge. Exciting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So obviously like the production aspect is all pretty important. Like where does DJing stand for you? 
uh fun <laughs> yeah. i guess but i mean like catharsis I, i'm sure but like do is it as do you take it as seriously as important or is it just more like a a nice side hobby type um well i love teaching um it's always it's always like fun and i don't know like i i just i just love to see people in front of me having fun you know and it, it makes me like I don't know, it gives me like some sort of like excitement. You know how it is, like when you DJ, like then it always like boosts the adrenaline. And, but yeah, like I, I would say from my case, um, I don't, I, I would see myself more as a live act eventually, like in the future. And I want to get more into, um, this is again, like a long-term plan. I want to get more into, you know, doing music for sync or plays or stuff like that. Um, but yeah, for now, I I do love DJing. <laughs> yeah, I guess for me, I also really like DJing, but I probably, I mean, I, I find time in the studio to be more fulfilling than time on the road. Um, and that's something I'm trying to navigate a little bit in the next year because I definitely spend way more time DJing and traveling for gigs than I do actually making music. Um, and it's a balance that I haven't quite gotten right yet. Um, so yeah, something, something I'm working on, but I do enjoy DJing. Um, you know, it depends on the gig, obviously there are some great ones and some not so great ones. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> but, yeah. When it's, it, when it's really good, you're like, oh yeah, that's why I keep doing yeah, this. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I fluctuate between like wanting to quit and wanting to just like quit everything to be a DJ. So. I know all about it. Chloe's <laughs> crisis. <laughs> <laughs> I literally called Irene crying. A couple times. After a bad show, like I'm going to quit. I was like, oh, come yeah. on, like, let's talk about it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've definitely had to well people have also had to talk me down off the building but i've talked numerous people where they just have one of those weekends where it's rough i mean i remember i had one patch where it felt like there was three or four months at least with a lot of gigs each weekend and it just every gig kind of sucked and you're mm. like what am i doing here you know and then then you'll have a run where it's like five or six gigs in a row are some of the best gigs you ever had. You just never know what's going to happen. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I also find sometimes that it's like random ones or ones that I, I don't really know what to expect that are actually some of the best ones that I play. Um, yeah. I tend to prefer like smaller gigs in general. Like, I don't know. It It's always appealing for me because I, I come from like basements and like 100 cup. Yeah. shows and you know when i play these sort of shows i don't know somehow are always the most fulfilling for me totally i mean like i you know i don't i've played a bunch of big stages or whatever and that's really fun and it can be fulfilling but like i think my my personal sweet spots like maybe around like 700 people or something like that where it's big enough to get but like also not you know, like these 2,000 person stages or something like 700. You're just so far. <laughs> you can't even see like exactly. first row. But I mean, even like when you, you have these parties where it's like maybe 250 people or like a, a Sunday type thing, or whatever, that's really cool. That's where it gets like kind of vibey and like people really appreciate it. You know what totally. I mean? Um, but that being said, like, how do you feel? Like, I know you said earlier that music isn't particularly inspiring at the moment which is kind of true but like <laughs> i was like it, hard no no well i mean uh, i i'm pretty vocal about it being a bit shitty but i, I try to be optimistic <laughs> my tune. i don't want to be too much of a cry baby but um when it comes to like you know the the, the clubbing aspect do you see yourself going out clubbing as much lately or no time for it or no interest or i personally I, I like don't go out anymore <laughs> which is actually kind of sad but um I used to go out a lot but I think the way that my life has changed over the last couple of years and like the, the demands of working during the week and then touring on the weekends it just leaves pretty much no time but I do want to get out more because you do just I don't know it's nice also just to be with people in the industry and see what people are playing and inspired like yeah and I do miss it like I haven't been to Bergheim in a while actually so same. I'm, I'm due back <laughs> yeah yeah um I actually um yeah I haven't been going out much as well um I prefer going to shows normally 
uh, when I can. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just, to be entirely honest, I I don't know if it's a bit of social anxiety that I have or I just, I don't know. I just feel out of place and I get a bit bored. I'm like restless. Chloe knows this. I'm just like walking around, like trying to hide from everybody. <laughs> like, I feel the same way. I mean... Especially like if you walk into like a pack club or something like that and it, it's just heaving and it's like it's going off, it's good, but it's it's too overwhelming, especially if you're yeah. sober. Like I need to smoke a joint right away to like acclimate. Otherwise, I'm yeah. like, my, my nerves are firing. Yeah. It's too much. People come up and they're talking at you. They don't care what your response is. It just keeps going and you're like, I made a terrible decision coming here. <laughs> then after like two hours what? and a couple of drinks, you're kind of into it. But like at first you're like, oh my God, this is too much. You know? Yeah, it's so overwhelming. But one thing I've noticed since I started doing this podcast again, like, you know, when, when I first started it, it was a lot easier to for people to kind of put out tracks and get gigs. And like the world's changed a lot since it was eight years ago. And, you know, at that time, like, people would just come over and, like, it'd be the afternoon and, and, like, we'd all be hanging out drinking and having an interview and, like, life was, I mean, there was always things to complain about or it wasn't perfect, but it was easier. And now as people come by, uh, the same message kind of seems to be the same. Like, everybody's got to work so hard for it now that they mm -hmm. come over and, like, everybody's tired. They're like, uh, man, I got to be up every day. I'm in the studio from 9 to 5. Like, it's not the rock and roll party thing that people would imagine the lifestyle yeah. to be like it's it's very clinical almost right now yeah. it seems yeah. it's demanding I, yeah it seems like the sentiments changed over the last couple of years like it seems that most people i know who had really well established careers before the pandemic are also feeling a bit anxious right now it's just it's very um it's a saturated environment it is everybody wants a piece of the pie you yeah. know and there's there's just not much left either a lot of the venues are going away things yeah. are moving more towards like festival culture and whatnot and if you're not one of the bigger names with like a bigger sound you're probably not going to be getting booked for it you know yeah so uh, it, it's kind of tough to see where where the club land's going and but on the other hand it's like when you talk to people it seems like everybody's relatively been a little bit healthier like less drinking and drugs is like before people were crazy about it but now i think especially if you're busy you have such a demanding schedule that you can't afford to be hung over yeah like i can't you know what i mean totally. i mean the more we go forward and the longer the the hangover is like i can't it's a two-day hangover for me now, <laughs> today, really for me it's for a it. week <laughs> <laughs> like i had my first three-day hangover like last year and oh i was like God. all right that's when I was like, I, it's time to slow down. Not that I really was going for it full throttle, but just like, I, I'm not as excited about it now. Like before, it's like when you get on that skateboard, you, th you already know you're going to fall on your face. So it's not <laughs> as fun. I'm like, I don't know if I want to party anymore because I'm going to fall on my face. <laughs> you know? I want to switch topics real quickly. I mean, you were talking about how you were teaching students. Was it online or also in person? Yeah, I did uh, a few in-person yeah. sessions um, and uh, well, over obviously it all started like during pandemic. Um, I was uh, doing my own courses for like women and non-binary people and then I did, um, I did like a couple of master classes at universities and then I went into program with uh, Subverted, which is a queer uh, collective. I'm going to do one again in April. And um, yeah, I love teaching actually. Like it's kind of, it's fun and I love to show my skills, like, um, you know. Share. Like share and inspire people when I can. Um, just like, because sometimes what I like about doing this women and non-binary queer uh, workshops is because sometimes, you know, when I was a uni, for example, like it was full of men, like it was just men, basically, like yeah. studying music production. And, um, you know, as a woman, you feel quite overwhelmed and you feel a bit like, how do you say, looked up? Uh, Looked down. Like condescended to? Yeah. Like, looked down upon. Looked down upon, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I wanted, 
I, I wanted to like create this like environment of learning and sharing. Um, so yeah, I really love it. That's my passion. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm kind of curious more about like, you know, you said you were dedicating more towards like female identifying students and stuff like that. Um, which, you know, there's, there seems to be a lack of, and I say that because I was listening to an interview with Susan Rogers. She's the, she was one of the producers for Prince, especially like when Purple Rain and all that stuff come out. And, uh, you know, now she works, I think, at the school of Berkeley teaching music. And they were just talking about women's involvement. And, and she's like, you know, I'd like to tell you differently. But honestly, she's like, I have 32 kids in my class and only two are women. Like, there's mm. just nobody applying. And she's like, I wish that was different, but it, it's not happening. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, the thing is, is since people have started booking more females for lineups, I've seen more women become interested in it and try to start doing it, which is great. So I, I'm just wondering if, if that's going to happen as well with production. I mean, there is more female producers, but like... In my point of view, I think maybe I'm wrong, I hope, but <laughs> I think women have always been interested, but they felt very demotivated in even trying, you know, because mm -hmm. you're really calm in an industry where it's very, like, highly male-dominated. So you kind of feel you don't stand a chance, <laughs> like, to... Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, because I actually didn't start producing until quite, well, like, later. I mean, I was in my... It was only a few years ago, really. And I guess that it always felt kind of inaccessible to me. And part of it was because the people I knew who are producing were men and the way they would explain things to me. I'm not saying all men are like this, but it was like, this is the way you do it. And like some of the ways that I was taught early on, especially by like ex-boyfriends and stuff just like did not really click with me. And so I just didn't really seriously pursue it for a long time. Um, so it's, I think the programs like what you're teaching is like, I wish that I had that as a resource when I was younger. Yeah. I think it's a good thing. You know, the other thing is, is when I think back, you know, it's it's just almost like sports. Like guys just fucking love to talk about things. Like if you say, "Oh, I just did this," uh, we just did this cello and bass collaboration record. Well, what you should have did is blah blah <laughs> blah. And like you didn't ask their opinion. And you know, people are like, "Oh, well, now you're mansplaining," and probably they are. But I think it's inherently in that because everybody's first intention is like, "Well, did you do this or that?" Like it's so they lean into it like they want to establish like some sort of information or like well you're doing it wrong you could do it this way and it's like well nobody really cares yeah you know what i mean and i don't think they mean anything wrong by it but it's so such like a ingrained in them like a systematic thing that i, I can definitely see where women who might be curious are going to be like well i don't i don't have time for this shit i already hear enough of this yeah. you know what i mean so also i find there is always i don't know i i Sometimes I go and look at a lot of tutorials, like, because I'm always, like, trying to learn something new. And I don't know, it's just, like, sometimes you... <laughs> Again, sorry, but, like, sometimes how men explain things, it's just very, like, um, overwhelming and there's a lot of, like, talking, not going straight to the point, which when you're a student and you're learning, like, you don't want to, like you don't want to listen to a lot of technical things. Like you just want to go straight to like what's practical, what you're going to remember. And yeah, you know, like it's, yeah, I don't know where I want to get. No, I, I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I made a point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know where you're going with it. Cause it's like, I do try to like watch a lot of tutorials on YouTube about everything. I like cooking and all that stuff, but especially music. And half the time I'm just like skipping through things or I'm, I just give given up on a lot of these people. Or like if, I see, if I see that guy pop up on my thing, even if he might be right, I'm like, I don't want anything to do with that channel. I hit the like, do not recommend, you know, because it's like they beat around the bush or they want to act all technical. And it's like, who cares about this? Nobody cares if this SSL plugin sounds like this one or like nobody's ever going to be able to tell. Like yeah. <laughs> give something that's worthwhile. You know? I found the best tutorial for my, for me, for my brain. Uh, it's uh, this channel run by Ned Rush. And this guy is like amazing. It goes so fast. Like, <laughs> you, he does you, really you, crazy routing shit. Oh, you know too. him? Yeah. Like, yeah. And he, he's just like, 
it's so fast. If you miss one point, you're just like, wait, what did he do? But that's exactly what I like. Like, just like show me things. Don't talk. Like, just, and yeah, it's perfect <laughs> for me. Nice. I also think uh, Nadia Struig does a lot of really nice uh, tutorials and demos. Um, I'm not such a huge hardware user, but she, yeah, she is great. She I knows. Mean, I think those things translate over, you know, like uh, between hardware and software. Yeah, so that's totally, good. yeah. I think like, uh, I know Polygonia, she's starting to do some things on YouTube too. Okay. If anybody's curious and wants to see. For other, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, cool stuff for sure. Um, with Under My Feet, are you doing releases? Because I've seen some tapes and stuff, but would you call it like also a label as well? And Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are, um, I run this label with my, one of my best friend, Jacopo Dema, is he makes great like dubstep um you know uk sounds um but yeah no we we started the label so it started as a collective just events and then we started label in 2020 and we are on the fifth release we just released um, a va um which did very well um so yeah we're planning the next one i'm not gonna say who it is but an amazing female artist um she's doing really well like um it's quite exciting yeah and then so if people want to check that out is it under my feet london ldn on instagram okay yeah and and so like whether it's searching for something for a and r or for dj or whatever is, is there like a certain kind of thing that you're looking for or an inherent quality in the music or like what gets you going for it rather than all the other demos or promos that land in your mailbox. I mean, I'm a sucker for a nice hook, like an atmosphere. Absolutely. I think that there's a lot of really loopy stuff that I'll, you know, I'll sometimes play that, but I, I really like, I don't know. Yeah. Something that's more of a vibe. I like acid hooks. Um, I'm trying to stay away from things that are too like classically EBM, but anything that has like a nice synth, I mm-hmm. uh, will probably definitely play if you send that to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, for me, it's, uh, I get, I don't know, I, I pick my tracks by groove. Um, I have this distinct, distinct groove that I I go for, which I wouldn't be able to describe, but it's kind of like this housey techno, but still 90s. Um, when it comes to like, obviously, club music. Um, and then, yeah, great textures, like... I'm I'm very much into sound design as well. Like, so same. That's kind yeah. of what gets me going right now. Is like <laughs> yeah. things that I I can't recreate myself, or I haven't really heard. You know, like mm. Blawan's name always comes up, and it's because yeah. you just every time you're like, "What the fuck? How do you do that?" You it has know? a very distinguished sound, right? Like exactly, very particular. You know? Yeah, I think Quell's also. I mean, you brought him up earlier, but he's yeah. an amazing sound designer. Yeah, we were talking about it. I mean, that's the thing is like. Both of those guys and, and others, they really work their ass off. You talk to them and they're just so obsessed with creating sounds and getting in the studio and figuring things out. And it's like, don't get me wrong, like I also, like you said, I like loopy stuff. I release it on my label. I, I play some of it or whatever. But um, I'm always kind of, like you said, really kind of after a hook, if that's possible, or something that just kind of makes it exciting. It doesn't have to reinvent the wheel, but like it has to excite you you should be able to feel it you know Mm -hmm. and i think Mm -hmm. even some of this the problem with sound design stuff is i i always call it like sound design masturbation like i think it's more fun (laughs) for them than it is for the others but like when it when it is really intelligently placed within the music then it gets to be really exciting you know like even in like more on a pop side like fever ray or something like that we're just like okay these this is not the usual kind of palette that would come in a synth pop but it makes it that much more special Mm -hmm. you know so I also heard like when in, in some of your DJ sets, you kind of like give a nod to some like Italo grooves or more like dark 80s uh, sort of vibes, Paolo Bazzi. <laughs> yeah. where, where did that influence come from? Uh, I mean, I was really into new wave and post-punk and uh, all of that in high school. Um, so I think I, I naturally like my, my entry point to electronic music was more like music that borrowed those kinds of tropes. So like it's Halloween yeah. stuff. And I, I do still play that sometimes. Um, it's fun. Totally. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely like fun music. Um, for me as well, like I, I, I was into, I am into post-punk. So it kind of 
same. Um, <laughs> I discovered the old Italio, and yeah, um, I'm not playing it as much as I used to, like these days. Um, but yeah, I definitely like. I like it. <laughs> you gotta have like a little bit of like fun and fluff in life, you know, like. Sometimes I like to throw those tunes in track, uh, like even if it's like this very loopy, manly, whatever <laughs> techno set. Like I like to throw something in that kind of just breaks it up, and it, yeah, it usually goes over. But there are times where it doesn't go over so well for me. But I'm gonna pretend those do not happen. <laughs> you know? But that's also that's what keeps it fun, you know. Just to because I, I feel like a lot of times when people go out to do sets, like you're kind of getting this performance and it's like maybe too serious or something or like it starts to feel like a funeral at the club and you're <laughs> like, well, okay, I forget, you know, this is dance music. You're supposed to have a good time. Like I like it heavy and dark and everything, but come on, you know? Yeah. Whenever I play more room two sets, um, I'll throw in some soft crash and I never get responses like when I play a soft crash song. It's like yeah. people lose their shit. <laughs> <laughs> There's something to be said about like emotional context or like you yeah. said earlier, like hooks. Because Melodies. It's, yeah. These days it's really cool not to have a hook in, in music unless like you're doing like a pop edit or something. But the biggest tracks are always some sort of melodic element or something. And maybe not even a cheesy melody, but it's something that you can hum or remember the next day and not just a couple of sounds thrown together or whatever. Then again, a lot of people, I think they shy away from trying it because... If you try it and it doesn't work, then it's like completely obvious that it it failed. You know, what I mean? also like it's it's actually shocking how many people that are kind of producing and DJing music they don't really have any formal background for making music, so they don't really know how, or they're not. You know what I mean? Like they kind of forget that that element of feeling it out. It's really strange. I'd, I'd like to see more of that. Is there is there something like more that you would like to see happening? within electronic music or dancey stuff where you're like, I'm, I'm missing this and I wish it was there. I need to think about yeah, it. I, think I, I also need to think about that for a second. You know, like for me, like a, a real easy one, for example, is like everything right now is super fast, which is fine or whatever. I'm not going to argue that on here, but like it would be cool. Like before it was, everything was always slow forever and now everything's always fast. Mm -hmm. It would be cool to see like a night where there's definitely different BPMs. Like it doesn't have to be always 144 or just 128 like i don't know it it really felt like at least back in the the 90s and the early aughts like bpm was not as much of a topic as it is now like yeah people just did their set and it was whatever it was yeah. um yeah well I, w I was just thinking about your question and i guess that i feel i mean not to like wax nostalgic but i do feel that in the past maybe like 10 years ago, there were, there was like more of a cross fertilization of sounds that would happen on a night. Like I'm thinking of like blackest ever black when that was a thing mm -hmm. and you'd have some acts that were live bands and then some more kind of techno leaning things, but they all fell under the same kind of aesthetic umbrella. And I feel like there were communities that formed around those sounds as well. That just mm -hmm. doesn't really exist right now. Um, like I, I do feel like they're, I don't know, maybe it's that labels mean a little bit less than they used to in the past or just because everything's gone so online. Um, but that is something I would like to see more of, um, though I'm not totally sure how we cultivate that kind of culture. Yeah, it's tough, you know, because I think I would like to see that too. And, and some of that stuff leans more towards concerts where like a show where you focus, whereas with dance music, like you can go and get a drink or whatever and it's like meant to be part of the environment. Because I was thinking about that too recently and it's tough to make those two worlds combine unless you're like, hey, we're going to have concerts earlier and then the DJ just takes over for the night, which yeah, is true. usually what happened at yeah. like a, a Black is Ever Black night. Um, yeah, I found these things like happening more within the underground like scene, you know, mm -hmm. not not necessarily uh, the dance. Yeah, it is an underground thing. Yeah. yeah. Noise shows and stuff like yeah. that. And, yeah. But I mean, it's also... It's tough times for music. I was just at Just Music today to to buy that microphone cable, and I didn't realize it's closing. Uh, <gasps> what? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I went in there. And I'm like, where the fuck is everything? Oh. It was emptied, and there was like sales and stuff. Oh. The shelves. It felt like uh, don't the tell pandemic. me there are sales. <laughs> no, no, there are. So I, I was like, I got to get out of here quicker. I'm gonna buy something because oh, I started man. looking at new microphones and shit, and uh, they got. 
twenty percent off all since and shit. I gotta go. Okay, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Oh, that's really sad. Um, but anyway, like that was really depressing. And you know, like I mean, every day there's a new article like Pitchfork shut down or all this stuff, and like it doesn't matter where you stand on any, any of those topics. Like the fact is, is like it's always a doom and gloom sign that pops up, and usually not something optimistic, you know, which is a bummer. But it's like, okay, well, what happens to things going forward that isn't just like a a dance music producer on a computer making stuff like real songs or whatever like that world is like really disappearing quickly yeah but i don't think that the appetite for that's going to go away i think there's always going to be a community of people who are, sure. who are looking for that and like driven to make stuff like that but for me the fear is um talking about closing um it's actually the closing of venues which are the small capacity venues because, you know, I used to live in London like many years and I remember when I moved there in 2010, there were so many, so many venues where you can go play with your band or check noise shows and it's like, I'm talking about like 100, 200 cap and now everything is closed. Like totally. the last venue that was obviously beside Cafe Otto, but like, for great live music, Eclectic has closed last week. They got evicted. And I feel this is probably going to happen in Berlin soon. Oh, totally. Like, or is it is already happening? So, yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit scary, isn't it? Like, no. I mean, I, there's, it doesn't really, there's not a whole lot for small cap venues here in town either. I know because I've, well, I've been kind of looking around, keeping an eye out for potential ways to throw parties, but I don't want to do a 1,000-person party. I want to do like a 300-person party that's really tight-knit, community-oriented. And there are options, but they're very limited, or it's just the same spots that are always available, you know? And like you look around using, and you're like, yeah. man, for a city that's supposedly built on nightlife and clubbing, like the, your options are severely limited if you want to try something different, you yeah. know? So it's like, now imagine other towns that have far less, whether it's people or resources. That's really scary. Without even talking about, you know, the, obviously there are many venues and the ones that are uh, available, they're very expensive as well. So if you're like a, a small pr promoter that wants to like throw DIY shows with like 200 cap, like you already have like, a thousand two hundred like expense just like to run totally minimum obviously <laughs> so yeah it's becoming more and more difficult to kind of sustain this let's say underground scene yeah one thing i miss about the u.s is there's a little bit more of a culture of like warehouse parties and stuff like that like yeah. i know in minneapolis that's a huge thing yeah. and i just i miss having that here i don't see many people trying it and i know there must be like different regulations around it and i actually haven't attempted to throw a party in berlin so i don't know but we we did try <laughs> it's not easy and it's not cheap to do it here um i mean the thing is is it used to be like berlin was a completely different animal like now you kind of have clubs and there's like people are exclusive to stuff and blah 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 it's, it's a big business now but but back then like it was the same shit. People were breaking into places or just having parties anywhere. And there was free parties, parties in the park, like really wild times. I mean, granted, this was like 20 years ago now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a lot of that has kind of disappeared, unfortunately. Um, but it's also what made Berlin look real special. But now it's like you kind of wonder if it's going to come back because you look at the prices of these club nights and it's it's insane. You're both residents at Trezor now. And um, you want to talk about that a little bit, like um, how often you play there, like what you kind of aim for musically, things like that. You go first. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I love Trezor. <laughs> um, I'm really not just saying that. Like, I think in the last couple of years, the there's been a new team of people who just injected all of this fresh energy into the label, into the club, and. Um, I feel that they're also really community minded and it's just, I don't know, a really, really nice vibe there. And I'm super happy to be a part of it. And uh, right now I'm playing there about every other month. So pretty frequently. And I'm pretty much just playing downstairs just because that's my preference. Like I really like techno. <laughs> <laughs> I really like um, the, 
like the booker, like Paul, he's really interested in like asking questions how, um, where we want to play or like who we would like to play with, you know. He's very interested in like making us feel comfortable with the lineup and like the sound of the night, I guess. Um, yes, it's great. <laughs> nice. And then, so when you, when you do these nights, um, do you get to do like, um, Arena Amna's invites or Chloe invites or anything, or is it more like, um, you just try to, is it like a group of people that are kind of together, like building a common sort of thing? Like, well, I haven't done an invites night, but you have. No, I did like the Tresor New Faces um, yeah. last year where I invited like some friends from London. Awesome. Um, um, I mean, I personally like, I don't know for Chloe, but like I, I, I gave some inputs on like, you know, maybe like, like telling like what artists mm-hmm. to look at for like more like emerging talents and locals and yeah. yeah. They seem to do a great job of like including new and upcoming talent and also kind of, you know, cluing in newer generations to older talent. Like they have, I think, Surgeon Regis and Steve Bicknell, like kind of the old dudes like that, the <laughs> old guard that are still awesome in their own way and, and whatnot. And like also on the label front too, bringing a lot of new blood in. Yeah, definitely. You know, like they had U2, um, not the band, but U2. <laughs> uh, and then, um, left field. Yeah, Fireground, that was like more of a Detroit techno recently, EP yeah. and stuff like that. They're so great. it's nice to see diversity happening there and sounds yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. There's an EP about to come out by, uh, it's a duo, one half of which is Israel Vines. And he's, I don't remember the second person, but it's all drum and bass, like gray, gray area drum and bass, which is sick because I feel like no one's really putting that out anymore aside from Samurai. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I think there's a little movement for it actually, but it's like very, it's very niche. (laughs) Like I've been really into things like Forest Drive West and stuff like that. I was listening to D-Bridge this morning and there's a lot of really cool things going on in that sort of half speed drum and bass techno type world atmospheric felix k i've always been yeah. a huge fan of that kind of stuff you know i would like to see more of that kind of sprinkle into not mainstream club music but like get people get more excited about it you know what i mean because there's more to life than just like the new burial record you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i love all of that like uk sound like all of my records that i have are like old jungle and drum and bass um but yeah, I'm I'm like me and Chloe like actually played <laughs> once at this um goth party and <laughs> we just decided all of a sudden to play drum and bass. <laughs> how, how did that go down? It was actually great. It was I think that was the best part of the night. It was like the last hour we just played drum and bass and people were so, so much into fun. it. Yeah. yeah, so much fun. I mean it, it's having a little bit of a renaissance again, especially like stateside. I haven't followed as much in, in Europe, but it, it's kinda coming back, which is cool because it That's disappeared great. for a long time. Yeah. Um and I I always thought for the longest time that it was going to have some sort of like commercial crossover appeal into like the hip hop world. Like you, I figured like somebody like Kanye or whatever would just drop a, a drum and bass beat over it and like that would start something new. Like there was this old Outkast record, uh, Bombs Over Baghdad. Do you remember that song? No. Okay, well, I just proved how old I am now. <laughs> but that's like, I think... 160 or something bpm and it's kind of drum and bassy but i was like this is i just don't see why people wouldn't try to incorporate that into their sort of club rap type shit but it i don't know americans whatever i I think i think it's kind of like blending a little bit with the old like gaba scene i feel like it's kind of like coming back like more like drum and bassy stuff like in that type of world I don't know, like yeah, like the breakcore type stuff. Yeah, yeah. I I remember when breakcore first came out. Like, I, you know, there's this uh, old festival I used to go to called Even Further, and it was always about hardcore. And then, like one year, the next year, all of a sudden, everybody that was a hardcore DJ instantly was like a breakcore DJ. It was kind of <laughs> like one of those massive trends that just shifted overnight. And you're like, wow, this 
and it just kind of stays that for a while and then eventually things go back to the way it was you see that with everything you know but yeah. in like also like gabber came back a little bit with um not so much the tiktok stuff but like perk and whatever those kind of people and mm-hmm. uh, the mover they introduced or he introduced a lot of that to new generation and it's interesting to see how those things come and go a bit so but with with the Trezor thing, like, are are you guys like gonna try and take the show on the road at all, or anything like that, or um, like as a duo? Do you do you play out much together, or trying I mean, to? Or? We want to play more for sure. Yeah, <laughs> no, we do. I think of all the people I do back to backs with, you're probably the most frequent one, <laughs> aside from uh, Umwelt. We've done a few together, but yeah, I mean, Irene and I have some like tentative touring plans. <laughs> yeah, TV, TVA. Awesome. Well, I think, you know, that's probably a good place to end it. If you are interested in seeing where they tentatively might be playing, <laughs> follow them online, both Instagram. Uh, are you guys into Twitter or anything like that? No. Mainly uh, Instagrams where to go? Yeah. yeah. All right. You just Google them and then it'll be there. <laughs> you got anything you want to say before we get out of here? Uh, thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank, thank you for coming. Hope a it was a pleasure. good time. Yeah. yeah. All right. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.